This podcast is, of course, brought to you by Backstage, the number one source for actors looking to get cast. That is probably you. If you're listening to In the Envelope, there's a pretty good chance you're an actor searching for your next gig. Friends, wonderful listeners, I've got some good news. Backstage is offering 30 days free just for you, our In the Envelope audience. 30 days, totally free. I'm a podcast host. I don't do math, but I do know 30 days for $0 is a pretty good deal. All you got to do is head over to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code word envelope at checkout. And boom, you have access to thousands of casting notices posted and updated every day. It's all totally filterable. Are you bilingual? Can you dance? Can you juggle? There's probably a gig in there for you somewhere. Just upload a headshot, start applying, and get that dream going. A lot can happen in 30 days, trust me. But first, you gotta subscribe. Get to it. Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the one-stop shop for actors and creators both above and below the line. I am your host, Vinny Mancuso, backstage senior editor and professional entertainment obsessive. I'll be your guide through every corner of the creative industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. Here you'll find intimate, in-depth talks with today's most award-worthy names in film, television, and theater. Along the way, we'll get advice on living your best creative life, relatable stories of the highest highs and lowest lows, and maybe, just maybe, a rare peak in the envelope. I, mean, I look back on Nickelodeon shows or Disney things that I did, and I would treat them like I was, even though my, my skill wasn't there, I still had the mentality of wanting to give it the energy of if I was going to go make Raging Bull. I kept that fierce dedication towards trying to find more truth. Welcome to In the Envelope, the Actors Podcast. I am your host, backstage senior editor, Vinny Mancuso. And Lord have mercy, joining me today is none other than Austin Butler, who you probably honestly recognize better at this point as Elvis Presley himself. And that is because since Baz Luhrmann's biopic Elvis came out back in June, Austin has remained firmly in the Best Actor Oscar conversation, uh, and that's well-deserved. It is a deeply, deeply committed performance, one that sticks in your brain for sure. And I really, really loved what Austin had to say about it here. Uh, all these months later, and as we barrel toward the Oscars themselves, he had a lot to say about how it's changed his career, his process, how it changed him as a person. Uh, just 31 years old, he really does seem like a sponge, just absorbing knowledge from his many, many collaborators. Uh, so he has not just his own advice to share today, uh, but you'll also be hearing advice from Denzel Washington, Quentin Tarantino, Baz Luhrmann himself, all of that, and also a little bit about a little film called Dune 2. You may have heard of it. It's a wonderful, wonderful, illuminating chat with a hungry young actor. Let's get right into it. Here is Austin Butler. Where in the world are you right now? Uh, which is always a fun answer. I've been all over the place right now. I'm in LA. 
Amazing. I just, uh, I got to come home for a brief stint and then I go to New York soon and then, and then it's the end of the year. I've yeah. been all over. I've been in Cincinnati and kind of just all over the place, but it feels nice to be home for a bit. Amazing. Well, yeah, I was going to ask because, you know, uh, this time next week or about, about this time next week, you'll be hosting Saturday Night Live in New York City. Yeah. That's insane. That's crazy. <laughs> how's, how's that going? I I'm really excited. I, uh, I'm also very, very nervous. Uh, <laughs> I, I talked to Lauren Michaels the other day and, and he said, listen, the worst that happens is you embarrass yourself in front of all of America and, uh, <laughs> and your career is ruined. Uh, so, so uh, you know. but yeah, I grew up watching SNL and I watched it a lot with my mom. So it's, uh, it feels really surreal and I feel really honored, but definitely nervous. Yeah. Is that a skill set? Like, I mean, you, it's, it's not that you've never done anything comedic and it's not that it's, 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 you know, it's not that you've never done TV or anything like that, but is this, is this a skill set that you think is, uh, kind of new, you know, is it, this, does this feel like uncharted territory to you? Yeah. It's something I haven't done in a long time. I mean, I, I, it's kind of going back to the, the roots of, of what, you know, started me even realizing that acting was something that I like to do. Cause I would, I was very shy, but then for my mom or my grandma, I would, I would, you know, make silly faces and voices and stuff and try to make them laugh. And I think that's why a lot of little kids end up, you know, becoming actors. So, so it's kind of, it's kind of going back to that, but also my first jobs were in Hannah Montana or, or, or that sort of thing, you know? So, so we had a live audience and I've done sitcoms in the past and, uh, so in a way, it's kind of going back to kind of what started me in this all. I love that. Well, when this, I think this episode comes out like the 22nd or something. So when this episode drops, you will have hosted Saturday Night Live. So. Okay. All right. All right. Let's hope it went well. <laughs> I was going to say, well, what do you want to say to, to, to two weeks ago, Austin? Oh, dude, I, I, I don't know. Just <laughs> hope you had fun. I love that. Uh, I mean, that kind of reminds me, you know, this is something I ask a lot of the people who join us, um, because this is this is basically what we're asking you to do here is um, are you someone who who does reflect a lot? Are you someone who looks back on 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 your past accomplishments, on your past jobs? Or, or is that not something that you uh, prefer to do? Well, I, I don't I don't really go back and watch my work, but I what I tend to do is um, it tends to be something where I where I'll I'll be working steady and at that point i just you know right now i've only been focusing on the jobs that i'm doing but the beautiful thing about all the press of elvis is i I get to continually go back to what it felt like in the process of it and and then every now and then then i think back to you know all the different chapters of my career or my life and you know it's it's wild when I, i realize i'm 31 right now and i've been acting since I was 12. Mm-hmm. So, so I, you know, there's certain people out there who may, may have only seen Elvis, but, but there's that thing where I've been doing it for so long. So, so it feels really, uh, it feels really cool to kind of every now and then go back and, and get to look at your life retrospectively, but I don't do it very often, but every time I do it, I feel very grateful. Amazing. Well, that is exactly what we're going to do today. Um, I do, I do want to go 
all the way back. I mean, I've it's it's funny because you know I was, I was kind of looking into your bio and your IMDb and stuff like that. And I've actually seen two different versions of this story, so I'm not sure which one is correct. It was it's the story of you uh, at a county fair or something, and it was either you were approached or your stepbrother was approached by a, a background casting agency. Um, what is the the real version of this story? The real version is is it was I had a stepbrother. My my mother got remarried for a brief stint, and uh, and so I had the stepbrother at the time. He got scouted because he his dad was a hairdresser and he wanted a he wanted to have a perm. Uh, and so his dad permed his hair. He'd always wanted to have an afro, and and so his dad permed his hair, and it didn't come out quite right. So he had this this just wild mop of curly hair on his head, and and uh, and so he caught somebody's attention, and, and they said, you know, you should you should come up and and uh, audition for this thing up in L.A. And we were living in Orange County at the time. And so I just tagged along and we all kind of thought, you know, he's going to be a movie star. And, uh-huh. and so we went up with him and then it turned out to be this giant cattle call for a background agency. And, uh, and they said, but we didn't know anything at the time. And so they said, you know, you should, you got another kid. He should, he should do it too. And and they gave me some commercial to read and, and got up there in front of the, the casting director and stuff. And, uh, and, but then you know, my mom, she, she saw that there was something, some passion that came out in me and I was very introverted as a kid. And then, but it just seemed like a cool thing to get to be on a movie set and, you know, you get paid some money and you get to be on a movie set, get a free lunch. And yeah. uh, so that's what really started it. And then, and then I was, then I was on these sets and, and, and started to really just fall in love with the way that, everybody comes together to make this one vision, you know, I, I loved that. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, I, I've read that, you know, around this time when you, when you realized, Oh, I actually, I actually want to do this. You also started taking, you know, classes you were, you were seeking out um, stuff like that. Is there anything specific that during those times, you know, any, any specific uh, techniques you were taught, any specific classes, any specific, anything during that time that has like stuck with you and, you know, sort of, sort of guided you as you continue to go through this entire career yeah i mean i i went to so many acting classes and i also just i i owe my mom every day because she was driving me from orange county to mm-hmm. acting class waiting for me the entire time and then i'd get in the car and we'd drive all the way back down so i just i you know hats off to every mom out there who's who, you know and or dad who, who really is there for their kids in that way i, I just owe her so much but i uh I did, I did a number of different types of classes. Like I did this one that was sort of Meisner based that, that was more about, uh, about not, not worrying about character at all and just getting into the emotion on the other person. And so you would, it was the type of class where you'd read a scene once and you stick it under your chair and then you get up in front of the class and they had two cameras on you. And so you're seeing what the close up looks like. And, and then you just hear with the other person. And, and uh, that that was a really, that was a great class for me at that time because it kind of, it, it helped me to get out of my own head and and like, what, what am I doing? What, you know, watching myself at all and getting my attention on the other person, which has been such a great, you know, tool for me as far as being a shy person or, or um uh, introverted at all because it takes it off yourself. And, mm-hmm. um, and so that was a, that was a great sort of technical class. And then, and then I started getting into 
like working with a guy named Howard Fine, who who's more Uta Hagen based, mm-hmm. uh, and that that uh, that was great because because you run through exercises in the class. So I started in the foundation with him, and uh, there were days where he would just say, "Go out and and find as many different shades of green as you can." And so it just kind of started to train perception and realizing there's so that. many shades of anything, you know, and and uh, or or you do exercises in class where you have to have a telephone call and nobody's on the other end and and you're recreating a phone call that you had during a week or so it just started training me to to watch my own humanity and see all the weird idiosyncrasies that we do as humans and mm-hmm. start watching that a lot and. Uh, so those those are two of the sort of foundational classes that I did young and then but I've had many mentors. Larry Moss is a big mentor of mine and and I've worked with him for many years now and um yeah I I, I could talk to you for days about this. <laughs> um during this time you know you're taking classes, you're doing background work. Um do you remember the first time that you said a line on camera and and what the how that experience changed you? What was the first time I said a line? <laughs> I um there's a short film that I did that was that was kind of a student film uh, that it was the first audition I ever went to, and and I think I got it through Actors Access or something like that. My mom found this thing, and uh, so I, I did a short film uh, about this dog who gets turned into a boy, and I play the dog that turns into the boy. Incredible! Uh, so I, uh, I that may have been the first line that I did, but I didn't get paid for that job. I think I, I maybe it may have been Hannah Montana that I mean that was the first time I was paid as an actor, so that that may have been the first. Yeah, it's funny to think back on it was so long ago. Yeah, I mean I I'm just curious about like you know when you make those those leaps. Um, it, it's it's just funny to think about what what counts as as a major step up. Uh, and when you think yeah. back to those moments, you know, were you were you counting the the steps where you were you like wow my first background role my first you mentioned the first time i was paid or is it was this stuff just happening that you that you saw as like you know happening all at once no each 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 different shift felt monumental in its own way you know i mean that that first that first time getting to speak or that the the first um guest starring role or or the first time i was a series regular you know, um, and then, and I mean, I remember the, seeing the first time that that I was number one on a call sheet, and just thinking, "Oh my gosh, that's that's I can't believe that I'm that person right now." And um, uh, not that that matters at all, but it's just these there's these little things that you look at and you go, "Oh, this there's a there's a chapter that's shifting right now." I uh, yeah, it's it's and each one is special in their own way, and and. I remember getting jobs for for something that, you know, a pilot or something back in the day that never even went, and, and just the excitement that I felt and the people yeah. that I called, just yeah. So there's there's excitement in each period, you know. Absolutely, and you know, I, I when I just I sort of looked down your your resume, that looking at these shifts, I do it does feel like there was a real uh, palpable shift that happened when you made your Broadway debut in uh, Iceman Cometh. Uh, I'm curious, you know, how 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 do you think that 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 experience sort of sort of changed you as an actor or performer it changed it changed a lot internally and and externally um it was it was at a point in my life where i i was 
I was doing these TV shows that were really fun to do. And, and, and some people really, really dug them, you know, and, and, but I, I didn't feel, I didn't feel really fulfilled as an artist. I felt, I, I didn't feel like I was being challenged in the way that I wanted to. And, and also the, everybody that I, you know, was looking at as my Northern star, you know, looking at Leo or looking at De Niro or looking mm-hmm. at Jack Nichols, whoever it was and, and kind of going, you know, when you watch One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest and then and then suddenly you go and you're doing a CW show or something like that, you, you kind of just, as great as those experiences were, and I'm so grateful for them and everybody involved, um, there was there was this hunger and feeling that high inside me. And I, I, I'd been off for a couple of years and, and I came back to LA and I I, I just thought, you know, I, I would rather not work as an actor than to ever, you know, do something that, I'm not really passionate about again. And, and then I just didn't work for eight months or something like that. So, so basically I I got to this point where I said, you know, I'd I'd rather not work. And so I didn't work for eight, eight months. And when you don't work as an actor for a while, your mind can kind of also go and Mm -hmm. really made me just think, is this what I want to do and everything? And that's when the audition for Iceman Cometh came up. And immediately I just knew I, I needed to, that the, that had been a thing that had been on my mind for a long time. I, I was fortunate to get to live in New York when I was 20 and then ended up moving there and, and I'd see 14 plays in a, in a two weeks. And uh, I just, I fell in love with theater. It wasn't a part of the culture here in LA. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it was also, you know, the place where so many of my heroes cut their teeth and uh, and so I, I I knew there was something that I wanted to do. Plus, it was with Denzel Washington. And, yeah, not uh, a bad perk to be uh, across uh, the stage from Denzel uh, Washington. Exactly, and, and Eugene O'Neill, and so I uh, so I put myself on tape for that, and and then and I really thought, you know, I'm I'm an LA actor. They're they're not going to cast me. You know, they're gonna. I had been told before that you know that that, that there's this divide where mm-hmm. you know New York they're not gonna they're not gonna look at you and respect you kind of thing, uh, but but I I just I gave it everything that I had and and uh, I ended up I ended up getting that that job and it changed so much because for one it it changed my own perception of myself and and my abilities and it was it was incredibly challenging play and to do that we were doing seven shows a week mm-hmm. um so and it's a four-hour play and so on saturdays we were on stage for eight hours and you're only as good as you are that night you're only as good as you are in that scene and so you can't rest on your laurels if you had a great night the night before you gotta you 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 got you gotta kind of put all that aside and, and keep digging deeper and so it really, it was such good training. And, um, you know, I remember talking to Denzel about that and, and he, even he, he was, was just, he's like the godfather of acting. And, and he really, um, he, he said, you know, this is where I learned. This is, this is, uh, this is where you get better. And so I felt a lot change inside me and, and, and just, just technically. And, and, uh, the fact that you're, you are the editor when you're on stage you you are you can pause as long as you want and you can speak as fast as you want you can there's a there's a really freeing feeling 
And there are moments where you feel like you have the audience in the palm of your hand and, and where you're starting to, to, to have that immediate response was, was huge as far as just storytelling in general goes. But then on top of that, there was once, once there was, you know, thankfully it went well. And then, and then people like, you know, Quentin heard about it. And so when I auditioned for, for him, then, then I wasn't just this LA TV actor who was coming to meet with Quentin. It was, I was on stage with Denzel doing Eugene O'Neill every night. And so it was, it was twofold. It was, you know, the way that somebody was looking at me or, or their perception of me, but it was also, it, it's kind of like when you're working out with a weight vest every day, you know, you're doing eight hours on stage and suddenly you go to an audition and it's nothing. So, so that was, uh, that was sort of my, that was, that was, that was that experience. And, and then, yeah, so the, and that that really is the moment that shifted my career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, I mean, as you mentioned, it was not shortly afterwards that you did you made the leap back to to screen, and you were working with Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, did it feel as if you were returning to that world with like a new uh, a new toolbox? You know, was did it feel as if that 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 you were you were going back from the stage to the screen with a whole bunch of things that were helping your screen performances because you had done them on stage? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, and that's that's something that Denzel talked to me about. How there is no, there is no stage acting and film mm-hmm. acting. There is truth, and because there are there human beings do really broad things in everyday life, and sometimes they do very subtle things, and and you can you can do either on stage or on screen, and um, so. So that sort of freed me up to realize that all of the things I was learning when I was on stage, I could just take them onto back into film. And, and then I was able to, you know, I, I had this fire. I felt this just fire inside mm-hmm. of me. And, and, and it was also this really, it was kind of like falling in love with acting all over again, you know? And, and, uh, and I just love acting so much. And, uh, and so, so, suddenly getting to now work with also working with Quentin and, and Leo and Brad. I mean, and, and, you know, they, they, they were some of those people that I looked up to the, the most since I was a kid. And, um, so that was just incredibly exciting. Is there a, a sort of particularly memorable or something that stuck with you, a, a piece of direction Quentin Tarantino gave you uh, that sort of, that sticks in your mind, just a very specific, piece of direction he gave you on set that that kind of exemplifies what it was like to work with him yeah um two things come to my mind one is one is something that you probably already know but uh we'd be filming and and we'd get the take and he'd say all right we got it and he'd say but we're gonna do one more you know why then the entire crew screams because we love making movies yeah and first time you know uh, brad it's, screams it out and I, I didn't know what was coming and so I, I hear the whole crew and and uh and then the next time then i'm a part of it and then and then so every new person that comes in they're, they're included in this fact that we love making movies and and there's this gratitude so as far as what the essence of working with him there that's really one of the core things is how how lucky we all are to get to do what we do but the other thing was how He's incredibly specific and his rhythms, you know, even where the, you know, any word and, and how, how the rhythm changes the, the, maybe the comedy of a line or any, anything like that, you know? So 
he's, he's incredibly specific. And I, and I heard certain directions for other people that were, you know, if you change this line, it, it changes the comedy. And, and so it's amazing to be able to trust uh, a filmmaker like that, where you just go, I'm just gonna, I'm just, I'm gonna trust these words that you wrote. But then there's moments where he would be spontaneous, like the I'm as real as a donut line, mm-hmm. you know, that, that wasn't scripted. And, uh, and he, he ended up, we were sort of joking around or I was going to say I'm as real as a bullet. And then somebody kind of misheard me. And then, and then he said, he said, it'd be funny if you said I'm as real as a donut. And then I went outside and I was going to come in and do the other line. And then he opens the door and he goes, actually say it, say I'm as real as a donut. (laughs) And so I went in and we did that. And that's the one that's in the film. And so it's great to see somebody who can be incredibly specific and then also be open to, to change, you know, Mm -hmm. There's a, um, just because not soon after that, uh, Elvis came along and there's a quote from Baz Luhrmann uh, in GQ that I love about your audition tape for Elvis, uh, where Baz Luhrmann asked, was it an audition or was he having a breakdown? I, uh, so I've spoken about this story a bit, so if, if anybody's heard, I forgive me, but I'll repeat it for anybody who hasn't. Essentially, I, um, I was, I was trying to figure out how I would want to approach this. It, 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 and a lot of it was trying to figure out for myself, did I believe that I could, that I could climb this mountain, you know? And, uh, and so I, I had some time and I was trying many different things and I was watching all the documentaries and, and um, I hadn't met with Baz yet at this point. And uh, my agent had said, you know, we can send Baz clips of you acting, but, but we don't have anything of you singing. So, uh, we think it'd be beneficial if you if you filmed yourself singing something, and so I, I filmed "Love Me Tender" because I, I I'd just been you know listening to all his music and I thought okay I'll, I'll sing one of the early songs and so I, I sang that and I watched it back and I immediately knew I couldn't send it because I was I could just see my myself trying to you know manipulate my face into looking like Elvis and it was all these external things mm-hmm. and. Uh, and and then the detail that you've probably heard is, you know, about my mother that I, when I learned that Elvis's mom died when he was 23 and, and that's the same age I was when I lost my mom. And, and so that, that was this real key where, where I, it bypassed any of the caricature of Elvis or the, you know, the, the idolized version of Elvis or anything. He just, he just was so human to me in that grief. And, uh, and then I, I ended up having this nightmare this one night, uh, that, that my mom was dying again. And when I woke up from that, I, I, it was like all the grief felt like it was happening again for the, for the first time. It was so raw. And, and so I ended up, I ended up just thinking, you know, either I can just have an awful day right now, or, or I can try to do something with this feeling. And, uh, and because my whole world at that point was just researching Elvis and uh, my first thought is what would Elvis do? And, and he would, he would sing. So I, I um, so I, I sat down at the piano and I I'd just woken up and, you know, I, the, there's the infamous, you know, bathrobe that I was, I, I just woke up, I put this bathrobe on and I, uh, I sat down at the piano and I set up a camera and the first song that came to my mind was Unchained Melody because I, I'd always heard it as a romantic song, but 
in that moment, I thought I could sing this song to my mom right now. And, uh, and so I just took all that I was feeling and I, I just sat down and I let myself cry and I just bang, I, you know, I banged out the song on the piano and, and I, I sang on Jay Melody. And then, um, and then I just got up and I turned the camera off and I, I sent that tape and I thought, you know, I have no idea if this is how Baz would want to approach it. I wasn't thinking about how I looked at all. It was just about what it felt like. And it was just about the therapy of, of letting out my pain really. And, and that, that's, that's what Baz resonated with. And, and that's how we ended up getting connected. Absolutely. And you know, that, that leads into, you know, you get the role obviously. And, and from what I can gather that led into a very intense sort of uh, preparation process for you, um, which was kind of all consuming, but also Elvis uh, was set to shoot and then was delayed uh, obviously because of COVID. So I'm curious, you know, um, how do you think your performance would have been different without that additional bit of time? I think it would have been very different. It would have, I often think about that. It would have been a very different film. Because I'd I'd had I'd had about a year before we were about to start shooting, so I'd been prepping and and that was that was every waking second was Elvis for that year, and then we were we were a few days from starting shooting when when Tom got COVID, and once we knew that that Tom and Rita were okay and and the sort of initial fear of just the confusion of of what was happening in the world at that time. Once that was kind of set aside, then we thought, well, maybe we'll shut down production for two weeks or something. And I was just grateful for an extra two weeks because we just received a new script. I was kind of still trying to wrap my head around things. And up until that point as well, I mean, from before I even met Baz, I had hired a movement coach and a dialect coach and a singing coach. And a, I started doing karate and I had all these teachers and I'm, I'm also, you know, I like to be a good student. So I had that feeling for about a year of, of many people around me, very, very incredible people that, um, that helped me so much, but I was, I was trying to be a good student for them for a year. And suddenly then we shut down for six months and they, they were going to ship me back to the States, but I knew that if I went back to LA, that the momentum would be thrown off and mm -hmm. suddenly real life would kind of flood back in. And, and, uh, and so it, I ended up just staying in Australia because it provided me the space to just not connect to the outside world at all. And, and I, I could just, I could double down. And, and it was also a time where nobody was knocking at the door. We couldn't see each other in public. So, mm -hmm. so I, it stopped being about trying to be a good student at that point. And then it was about, it was about what is my own relationship to this man and, and how can I diminish the line between me, like trying to be someone else and instead just really feeling like I'm seeing the world through his eyes. Mm -hmm. And so, so that time, that time was amazing. Cause I, I, I would wake up in the morning and just follow my curiosity. And so, so it became much more personal at that point. It, you know, it's, it's kind of, it allowed time for it to marinate. Incredible. I mean, Elvis is a, is a, is a film where, you know, I, 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 I love to ask actors about very specific moments. And this is a film that is chock full of very specific moments that I want to talk about. Starting small, uh, there's a very quick 
moment in this film that I love, I love so much because it's so Basil Ermany. It's so emblematic. It's so quick and it's so funny. I'd love to know just where it came from. It is like a two second shot in this movie where Elvis, you say, uh, Lord have mercy. And you put the microphone in your mouth and then it just immediately cuts away. Curious where that came from, where that moment came from, what that instinct was. Lord have mercy. That that came from that uh, that that line wasn't scripted, but it was, it was one of those things where I'd seen so much footage of Elvis, and one of the one of the things that I love about him so much is his humor and his the the silly side of him. That's the side that I didn't before I started working on this. I didn't realize how funny he was, and how he would goof around to make people laugh, and and. Uh, so I, I was always wanting to live in that spirit whenever I could, and uh, and so that was that was one of those moments where where in the moment it just it struck me, and and he would also do that where he would stick the microphone in his mouth and make a noise, and and so um, yeah yeah so that's that's that moment. I love that. And, you know, in a on a production like this, you know, it, it sounds like eventually you 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 learn to 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 trust your instincts. Does, does that take time? Does that take a bit of time until you start listening to those instincts? Or is this something where you really wanted to sort of just give yourself over to the to the moment or whatever felt right in that moment? Well, I mean, I, I, I knew that that was going to be, that was going to be one of the key th- things, um, which it's, it's tricky because you never want your instinct to lead you away from the mm-hmm. specifics of the individual. And and that's one of the reasons why it was a it was a very particular prep process because I I I wanted to I wanted my instincts to suddenly become as close to Elvis's instincts as I could get them so that way there wasn't a moment on set where suddenly Austin's instincts come out so in a way like all the year and a half beforehand I was trying to almost train myself to to get to a point where my my first instinct is the one that is most similar to Elvis. But also Baz was was incredible in curating an environment where you felt safe and we felt free to to be able to try new things, you know? Mm-hmm. And to trust those instincts and realize that you can you can take it in many directions and you're gonna be safe at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. In terms of like, you know, a, a much larger moment I, I think of you know that the the Russward Park uh, trouble performance that uh, kind of turns into it, it grows in more and more intense and sort of turns into a riot or and there are bodies flying and you're in the center of it. So I am curious, you know, in a, in a in a in a sequence like that where it is it is highly technical, there's a lot of moving parts. How do you ensure that you're that you're keeping that that emotional core that every instinct that you have is is Elvis's and not yours? You know, when when there's so much happening around you, how do you still maintain that center? Well, that so that that whole sequence that evolved a lot because mm-hmm. we we didn't have we didn't have footage from Russwood, but what we did have was images and uh, and footage from other concerts of, of the similar time period. So what we did was Polly uh, Baz and I we we'd throw ideas out there and and you know I I started I started to sort of structure how I would what the physicality of that song would be, which it's an interesting thing because when when you do Milton Berle Hound Dog, you know exactly what every second mm-hmm. should look like. 
But with this, on on one hand, it's it's incredibly freeing and exciting, and on the other hand, you, you're you're going. I'm essentially crafting an unknown Elvis performance right now mm-hmm. uh, that we don't know how he moved exactly on that night. So, at what point in the song would he maybe do this or that or this or that? And so, for me, it was it was playing the music a lot, seeing how the music moved me, um, seeing the moments where stillness was uh, more powerful, and then and the moments where where an explosive movement would feel right, you know? And, and so we sort of broke it down just moment by moment. And, and Polly and I would put up images of, of uh, different stills and, or, or I'd, I'd send a, a, a clip of a certain sp- specific movement that he did and say, you know, I think this might work at this particular point in the song. And so we ended up sort of crafting what the performance would look like. And, and there were things like, I said to Baz at one point, what if I jump into the audience, you know? And, and then when I went into the audience, then I, I could feel that the camera came up above and I just turned over and I put my arms out like that. And we filmed that before the moment of the kid in the gospel tent as well, the kid Elvis. And so, that was amazing because that was just a moment that just kind of mm-hmm. came, just felt right to sort of surrender to the to the love of the audience, and 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 so that was a moment that wasn't crafted beforehand, but it just felt right in the moment. So so you kind of, I find that you like stack the deck in favor of, you know, when all else fails, you have the structure to fall back on, but then you're also always open to if you see somebody in the audience that you want to just grab her face or something and sing directly to her, you can. Um, so, so then it leaves you open to, to the aliveness of, of every moment, you know? So that's kind of, that's, that's kind of how we structured that. And the third very specific scene I want to just call out and just sort of see what the day on set was like, what direction you were getting from Baz is the, um, you know, the, if I can dream performance, the sort of Christmas special performance that, that, that really turns into like a showcase for, for your acting while singing, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great example of, of, of not just doing an Elvis performance, but doing a performance as Elvis. So I'm just curious, you know, what that day on set was like, uh, what Baz was asking of you and uh, what you were asking of yourself. It was an emotional day for me. I mean, that's, that song has always really hit deep with me. And, and uh, I think it's such an incredible piece of music and, and just the, the meaning behind it. Um, and that dance set, I remember it sort of had a very quiet atmosphere on set. And we, we filmed that in one day. And so I, I, I remember spending a lot of time in hair and makeup and then, and then getting dressed. And then by the time I made my way to set, it was very quiet. And, um, and I walked out and we didn't have a rehearsal or anything. And, and we just said, all right, let's, let's go into it. And, uh, that that's one of those train spotter moments where you 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 know that somebody's going to clip the footage right next to the you know Elvis in, in sixty eight mm-hmm. and and you'll be able to see it side by side and and so I had felt nervous about it beforehand because I I thought I, I don't want to be focused on what my arm is doing and then lose the emotion of it but I don't want to get so invested in in emotion that I completely lose the the specifics of what he was doing on the day and, mm-hmm. and i didn't know if it would come together um but 
by the time that I was there, I wasn't having, I wasn't thinking about what the physical was. It That was kind of, that had been practiced so many times that, that then I could just feel it and, and feel what the music meant and what that moment in Elvis's life meant. And, and yeah, that was, that was a, that was a magical day on set. I think it's pretty fair to say that, you know, the entire experience of Elvis changed a lot about, you know, your career and, and the way you approach things. I'm curious how, you know, as you move on to other projects, you know, how how is the Elvis experience sort of uh, specifically changed uh, your approach, uh, the way you look at roles, the way you receive roles, anything like that? Yeah, it's it's. Um, do you want me to tell my dog to be quiet? <laughs> no, it adds it adds color. It's great. <laughs> um, it's definitely changed my my relationship to fear. You know, I I, I never experienced more responsibility or, or, you know, that, that feeling of incredible privilege, but that comes with, um, a fear of, of letting people down. So, uh, so that, that's definitely shifted in me to where I feel more excited about, you know, taking chances and taking risks and really pushing things. And, and it's also been, it's been really cool right now because I've, I've been able to play such different roles after after Elvis, you know, in, in Dune I'm I'm able to do something completely different. And uh and it was so much fun to get to step into that world with Denis and, and with Timmy and, and the entire gang and just it was it was such a fun experience and and to be able to just give myself fully to something else like that is really, really exciting. And and then I, I I just did this other film that was com- completely different as well, and where I'm just riding motorcycles with Tom Hardy and Michael Shannon and uh, living in the '60s and um, completely different person that I'm able to live through. I just I you know I just feel really fortunate that the experience of working on Elvis was then able to now let me work with people that I've admired for so many years. You know, absolutely. I mean, you 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 sort of remarked on it a bit that the the process of, of of being in dune part two which is really you know that came that came amid all the elvis noise so i'm curious you know you, you've spoken about your very intense prep process for elvis and i'm curious if with this new sort of renewed way of approaching roles how that affected how you've been preparing and then going into uh something as large as dune part two yeah I'm, I'm, i mean i've always sort of tried to approach things with a similar mindset and now, I mean, so for, for Dune, there were there were different challenges. There were certain physical things, you know, that, that I wanted to, you know, from from first meeting with Denis, what what I kind of knew his vision was, and and so so some of that was, you know, I had this 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 guy Duffy who who's a Navy SEAL who trained me for months beforehand just to get my body into a place where it was available to be able to not only be sort of a imposing physical presence, but to be able to to do whatever was asked of me. So so that was that was some of the physical challenges of that. But um, uh, and then just just I, I mean I trained for about four months beforehand. But the interesting thing was having to do that in the midst of Elvis press. So I'm, I'm I was doing that right up till Can and and then and then I was having to you know um, uh, do all the press during the day and then train at night and mm-hmm. that was a that was a thing that I I had a, had to manage during Elvis was I could completely eliminate anything in the outside world during Elvis and and now I've been having to figure out how to do that in, in the midst of balancing other things and 
but it's it's still that sort of all-encompassing energy you know that that that's really it's the way that i enjoy doing it you know i i i love living in these other worlds and i i love getting to explore the minds of other people and and it's just so enjoyable to spend as much time with them as possible and just kind of let it consume me so so that's that's how it's felt on on the on the other jobs that i've done recently for sure incredible is there is there anything again like i i similar to how we talked about Quentin, we talked about Baz, is there anything that uh, either direction-wise or just in your conversations that Denis has, has said to you that has helped, um, you know, crystallize this this character in your mind? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, Denis is a very, he's so thoughtful and he's, and he's, he doesn't miss anything. His, uh, his attention to detail is, is really remarkable. So, you know, I'm I'm trying not to give anything yeah, story-wise, but but there were many things where we would uh, we would break down little moments of of physicality and and um, or just really trying to dig into the the humanity of of somebody that certain people. It's the thing of of the bad guy in the world doesn't feel that he's the bad guy. You know, he feels like he's the hero of his own story. And that can be a hard thing with certain characters and with others it's easier, but you, you have to not judge the character and find a way to um, to really feel the motivation towards uh, any one of your actions. So um, so, so we, we had a lot of conversations and, and, um, and, and crafted that together in a way. Yeah, Denise, he's amazing. He's, he's such a, he's such an incredible director and, and, yeah, just the energy on his set is is amazing. You know, everybody trusts him so much, and it's just such a well-oiled machine. And and uh, he's he's a master of the craft for sure. Absolutely. Um, so as we sort of you know come to the end of this, uh, you know, I, I, as we said, we asked you to reflect a lot uh, because you know we are backstage. We are we are sort of the we're a hub for a lot of early career actors, people doing background work, guest star work, uh, the kind of work that that you started out by doing. Uh, so, you know, if you have any any sort of advice that help you, advice that 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 you would give to anyone doing that sort of real entry-level background, one-line kind of roles, what, what would your advice be? Man, let me think about that. I think I think for one, it's you know, I'd say don't compare yourself to anyone else, no matter what age you are, that you have your own path that's that's gonna be set out in front of you and and Make it about the work. Don't get caught up in the noise of this industry. Just just make it, if you really love it, make it about the work, whether that's reading plays with friends or putting up a small play or, or filming a short film on your iPhone or just make it about the work. And every audition that you go to, I, I, I used to always, you know, one of my early mentors said, audition for your career, not the job. It's not about getting that job. It's about you. You just put. It's a numbers game. You just you audition for a hundred things before you book one in the beginning, and you just keep going out there. And, and uh, every opportunity that you get, I mean, I look back on Nickelodeon shows or Disney things that I did, and I would treat them like I was, you know, even though my my skill wasn't there, mm -hmm. I, I still had the mentality of wanting to give it the energy of if I was going to go make Raging Bull, you know, I just I kept that sort of fierce dedication towards 
trying to find more truth, even in things that, you know, you, it, it could be easy to just phone it in on mm-hmm. or something like that. So any opportunity, I, I, I love that great Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know, footage where, where he talks about any opportunity where you're getting to act in a room that somebody else paid for, you know, I'm paraphrasing him, but act as well as you possibly can. That that is a gift to be able to act in that room, and that's that's what every audition is. It's it's just an opportunity to act, and don't make it about the pressure of getting any job. But yeah, I don't know. I wish everybody the all, all the best. I you know I hope your dreams come true. <laughs> Absolutely, Austin. I, again, thank you so much for being here. Good luck on on. I, I was going to say good luck on the next project, but just the next projects plural uh you're a very busy busy man uh so i appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and when this episode comes out we can look back on your wonderful saturday night live (laughs) all right we'll watch that together Thanks, as always, to our brilliant producer, Jamie Muffet, and to the whole team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage with code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. 100% free, you simply cannot beat that. For more exclusive content, find us on Facebook and Twitter, at InTheEnvelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who should we interview next? Let us know. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another peek in the envelope.